Bitcoin fixes the money, the Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. Hey guys, Texas Slim here, and guess what? I got a, a very, very special guest tonight. We have Cole Bolton with KNC Cattle. Um, you guys uh, probably do know Cole. If you don't, then this is a special time for you tonight. How you doing, Cole? I'm good. How's everybody doing tonight? I hope wonderful. Uh, great time to be on uh, on a podcast with you, Texas Slim. It's always my favorite. Yeah, well, we started out, I guess, last year sometime, didn't we, on that first podcast? I can't yeah. even remember when it was. Was it before Christmas? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, yeah, like, it was right before Christmas. I think it was, and I was I was a pretty newbie at this stuff. I'm still learning everything, but I think we've improved a little of our audio at least. We don't look as good as we did maybe six months ago. We look a little tired. We've been running pretty hard. <laughs> That's the truth. Well, you were running hard tonight. Uh, you were in a storm. We were supposed to do this earlier, but you got caught up after you came back from the processing plant, didn't you? Yeah, somebody wanted to put a damn tornado down, and <laughs> I was driving through hell, and, you know, just people in Texas, it don't matter if it sleets, it rains, it does anything. They panic, and uh, but yeah, I got <laughs> I got delayed a little bit, but we're good to go now. Well, I'm glad you didn't get taken off. That reminds me of home. Of course, that's where I am up in the Panhandle, and that's all we did was chase tornadoes. This is how I was growing up, and a lot of people freak out by them, but they're actually pretty fun if you know how to spot a wall cloud. You can kind of keep <laughs> your distance. But when you're down there in Central Texas, man, one of those tornadoes hits. You don't have too many places to go. <laughs> We had dirt roads and everything where I grew up. Out right. there, you just got highways and interstates now. So yeah, I was, I was shut out of luck on that one. But. Yeah. Well, hey, let's uh, let's just get into this. Let's talk about KNC Cattle and the Beef Initiative and uh, the Beef Initiative Conference, the first annual one that we're going to have in Kerrville on April 23rd. I want everybody, before we get started, we're having a Beef Initiative Conference, first annual 2023 april 23rd in kerrville texas um you can go to beefinitiative.com and get your tickets we have been uh rolling up to it kind of a slow roll but we got about nine ten days out i think right now and so it's time to everybody join us uh we're going to give you reasons here on this podcast and we're going to have fun tonight we're going to talk about some education within the beef industry within nutrition within heritage and uh legacy we're going to talk a little bit about us boys being from texas and several kinds of generations of being texas men and uh kind of where we come from kind of the dirt roads and the the east texas pines maybe i don't know we're gonna find out tonight so cole tell me how business has been since uh we first did that podcast late in 2022 holy smokes it's been awesome you know it was, it was like the perfect storm of of covid and and our grocery stores running out of product and people just getting frustrated with not knowing what and you know if they can pick up steaks and ground beef this week or hell if they're going to have it the next week um, what it did for my company specifically it uh, we've tripled in our size um, we continue to do a ton of uh, of work with the beef initiative too and those orders have just exponentially grown um Overall, I would say we're in a 
very, very good spot. We've been very blessed. You know, the Bitcoin community has been outstanding to KNC cattle, especially being in Austin. Um, but aside from that, you know, we have now serviced all 50 states in the United States. And uh, I would say we keep going, but the shipping costs that we're dealing with are getting pretty stupid. So until we can cross that hurdle, we're, we're going to focus more right here at home in Texas. But um, overall, I have no complaints. I got a hell of a staff that um, is behind us. And uh, KNC is in a very good place. And as you know, hometown meat market, which is a processing plant I'm partners on. I'm so excited. We hope, I'm not going to give the date yet, but we are shooting for Jan, uh, for June 1st for really? Orlando. I hope so. Wow. That's that's good news, man. I haven't been asking you because I know how that crap goes whenever you start from the dirt up, you know, with the processing facility in the state of Texas. You know, you got a lot of gotchas that are going to come up in the middle of the night and you're going to say, well, we were hoping for May, but now we're shooting for September. So for well, you to say June, you know, well, hey, I, I'm, I'm putting I'm putting credit into that. <laughs> I'll tell you this. Everyone says I'm freaking crazy because, uh-huh. you know, it was supposed to be September of last year and just non-going hell. But uh, I got crews that, that are working on putting uh, finishing up our, our rough end tonight. And it sounds crazy, but a processing plant's pretty simple. The insulated panels, your coolers, uh, once you are able to get the building up. So I went and put light, light towers up on site and told their ass to work 24 hours. <laughs> I don't <laughs> care. Get that damn thing dried in. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, that's what you got to do, man. And, you know, we both know somebody that's helping you out with the process. You know, we've met a lot of people in the processing world this last year. Both of us have. And here you yeah. are doing proof of work and everything. And we know the pains of, you know, not a, not a, just not the uh, the construction of it, but actually the the rules, the regulations, the uh, the inspections and everything that we, we had to go through in the state of Texas, which were pretty streamlined and a lot. A lot of ways compared to other states, but still, there's a lot of pain points there that you know both you and I, and even uh, you know our friend our friend Justin up here that has gone through in the processing world for being able to pull this off in a timely manner, the way that uh, you are doing it and the way we're looking at the whole state moving forward is going to be pretty monumental. And I'm really looking forward to that because, you know, I've been holding my breath because I've, I remember whenever you guys laid that foundation and, you know, what that meant. So kind of tell us, tell us what we're going to be looking at as far as after June 1st and, you know, how we're going to announce this, whatever you want to kind of let people know right now. Yeah. So one thing, you know, I've been blessed with the best business partner in, in our processing plant, a gentleman by the name of Clyde Summerlotti. He owns two bar C cattle, which is a huge, uh, just an immaculate Angus operation down here in Luling, Texas. Um, our processing plant's going to be in Luling. That was strategic. Um, we're three miles from I-10. So we're basically, you know, hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes from Houston, hour from San Antonio, 50 minutes to Austin. We're right in the middle of the triangle for transportation. Um, you know, we're going to have the capacity Whereas most local plants are able to kill 30, 40 head, maybe 50 a week, um, we have built a, kind of more of a regional plant so that we can harvest 
um, up to 250 head. And by gosh, it gets that big. We got enough land there. We already have plans for expansion if, if that's the case. You know, what the consumers are going to be able to see if you're in the area, um, we're going to have some really cool value add products. Like we're going to do a bunch of dry aging. So you'll be able to get dry aged ribeyes and New York strips and T-bones, tomahawks. We're going to do jerkies. We're going to do bacon. We're going to have all kinds of smoked meats that you'll be able to come get. But more importantly for other, other producers or folks that have their own animals, we're going to be processing for the public. It's going to be a USDA facility. And so our plan is to open up Texas and finally have more room for people to go and harvest their stuff and also have that USDA stamp that allows them to ship it all across the country. Yeah, and I think that you saying that and and people across the United States that know what we're we're talking about right now, if they've got a little, you know, wisdom in the game, that's pretty big. I mean, what that does is that opens up a, a form of empowerment that has been stolen a lot of, you know, a, away from the the local smaller producers. And and what you're doing is you're creating a roadmap into a new protocol of basically, you know, a vertical integration that's you you know, if they're going to come through that processing plant you know they're going to follow a certain protocol pretty much kind of based on on what you've established as a rancher and everything so i'm going to say something about the vertical integration that we're talking about to give some people kind of a visual when we say vertical integration of of the food supply what we're going to do is we're going to start with the soil of course then we go to the grass and then we go to the cow then we go to the producer and then we go to the processor and then we go to basically after processor you know the supplier supplier into market access market access is very key in this conversation and once we've got market access then we're going straight to your plate basically you've got two touch points within something that we're trying to establish here yeah you know currently that cow may be the, the exchange of ownership of that animal in the traditional system may change hands anywhere from five to seven times whereas with what we're doing it's one owner all the way through the process. And that is key for consumers because one, you know, you can guarantee what what that animal has had, how it was raised. Uh, but two, you're gonna be able to cut out a lot of those middleman costs. Now that does not mean necessarily that our beef is gonna be uh, in correlation with Walmart. Hell no, it's a totally different product, but the plan is you'll be able to get more affordable local beef that's processed locally. Um, so you're completely supporting uh, local companies and keeping your money in the local economies versus giving it back to corporate America, which is exactly why we built this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the past, you know, that's where we came from. I was talking to a business partner the other day and he was saying he had a conversation with the old time timer here in Texas in the beef industry. He goes, you know how many mothball uh, processing facilities there are in the state of Texas? And so what you're doing is, is nothing new. It's actually we're just reflecting on our past. And what you're bringing back is that localization of that food supply that gives that market access to, to, to the community 
community, which is basically, you know, how we got here. I mean, that's how your family made it in ranching. You know, that's how my grandparents made it in farming and ranching. And, you know, I think that's something people can really reflect on and kind of understand that this is this is a this is a very positive thing and it's actually very empowering. And that type of market access that we're going to be able to talk about next is going to be very important. Yeah, I agree. Whenever we say market access, a lot of people look at processing plants and they say, well, you know, you got your processing plant, but what they don't understand is market access is something that is controlled as much as the processing centers across the United States already, because a lot of times the processing centers are the ones that actually establish that market access to where that beef goes. And so you being the owner of a processing facility, you're going to be able to label that beef exactly how you want and create that market access, especially to uh, the region and the state of Texas. Yeah. And, and, and that's so important to us. You know, our focus right now is, is being able to go direct to consumer mm-hmm. through e-commerce and through other other areas versus having you know going to wholesale. We we don't want to do that. We're not trying to give away the profits because the ranchers for so long we've been starved of our earnings because five to seven other people touch that animal. And now we're trying to take that back, go dr- direct to the consumer the taste profile is so much different. I mean, Slim, you've introduced me to so many folks that we have sold halves or boxes to, and we're just getting crazy ravings from these people about, holy crap, this tastes so different. I never want to buy grocery store beef again. Yeah, we know. (laughs) We believe in that vision. That's why I built all of this because of the feedback we were getting. And, And what we want to do is further allow more and more producers in Texas, across the country to band together and take this to the consumer versus them having to buy, you know, meat that's full of all kinds of crap from all different countries. And hey, now if you live in Texas, you can get Texas raised beef uh, and top quality on top of that. Um, Better than the grocery store value, beef that's been aged, beef that doesn't have that metallic flavor, beef that doesn't necessarily have that game flavor. It has a good, rich taste profile. And better yet, we can now uh, come in and, and like when you buy half, and we're going to cut to your exact specifications. We can cut two inch ribeyes if you want them, but you can also try other cuts with us. Um, tri-tip and picanha and hanger steaks and terrace major things you've maybe never heard of you're going to have that luxury not that you can't with a local processor it's just finding a spot at a processor right now is almost impossible yeah and that's what's holding a lot of uh, the ranchers back is like you know they can't they can't get a hook time for 18 months and right. so once that happens, it's like, wh- where, where's the value of uh, stewarding that animal? It's not. It's it's a timeline that they have to adhere to that can, all kinds of things can go wrong. Manipulation of all kinds of things can happen. But whenever you have that access to that processing center, I mean, you really can look at your craft and what you're you're used to and what you were raised to do as far as, the, you know, to, to use the soil and to use those land tools and to really produce and steward the best uh, beef in the state of texas probably since you know moving forward since we've ever seen that's what i see 
Couldn't agree with you more. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, that's why we're both so happy these days because things are happening and uh, it's kind of exciting to, you know, be a part of. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I, re I reached out to you last, you know, I guess it was November. It might have been October even. I can't even remember. But one thing that I, I really, you know, that first drive around the ranch that we, we took together, we talked about heritage. We talked about, you know, the food industry. We talked about the hard hardships of a rancher and kind of like where you came from. One thing that um, always struck me was your willingness to share exactly how you raise your animals. And so when we talk about nutrition and taste and everything, let's tell them how it gets there. You know, because a lot of people don't understand the process, you know, from when that, you know, when you have calving all the way from calving all the way up until, you know, you're, you're doing the weaning and then here you go, you know, you're raising that, you know, that animal and what you go through every day. I want people to understand a day in the life of Cobalt. Well, uh, I'll do my best to explain it. Sure. Uh, I hope you have ADD and can follow along. <laughs> but um, so, you know, the way it starts, one, I, as I was talking earlier about Clyde Summerlotti, my partner in Tubar C, uh, Tubar C Ranch, I went in and I bought some of his bulls, which are some of the top Angus bulls in the industry. And they're the top in low birth weights. So we want cows to have ease when they calve and not have some big monsters and have problems during their birthing process. Um, I want cattle that are going to grade in the top five percentile for the size of the ribeye, for the marbling. Uh, I want them uh, in the top percentiles for weaning weights, and I'll talk about that here in a second. So we take the bull, we breed them uh, either naturally or through artificial insemination, which we do quite a bit of, or we even flush embryos and implant eggs into donor cows, uh, fertilize the eggs with specific uh, uh, semen from specific bulls, trying to get a certain profile of that offspring. All right, so cow gets bred, the cow has the calf. From there, for the next six months, that cow is gonna raise that calf on their side, you know, and for us, during calving season, we strategically have our cows calve in certain times of the year. Each herd is different. I have a set of cows that are gonna calve in January, February. I'm gonna have a set of cows that are calving September, October. It's real important with what we're doing because we need different size animals so that we're harvesting all year long because um, the meat business never stops. So they have that calf, they carry it at six months. We're uh, usually actually at, at two to three months of age, we're bringing those calves in, we're ear tagging them so we can identify the genetics that helps me track the marbling and efficiency in our software program. But uh, we then give them an initial uh, booster shot that's not an antibiotic um, it's for, it's for black leg. And then we worm them. Then we go back at six months, six, seven months. And we're taking that, you know, it all depends on how big that calf is growing. Yours when it's raining like crazy, we have tons of grass. They may grow bigger. Maybe it's eight months. Maybe it's 10 months. It all depends. I want that calf to stay on the cow for as long as she can support it and stay extremely healthy. But at some point the cow starts to, starts to get, get weaker in her body condition we wean that calf. What weaning means is we take the calf away from the mom, we put it in a separate pasture and allow it to, to, to wean off, off milk. So they're gonna go into our grass program um, 
and in that grass program they'll stay in that program all the way up till normally those calves are going to weigh 800 pounds and then we transition them in our grass program um, in the last 90 to 100 days of of their life they're staying on pasture but we start supplementing with non-gmo grains and uh, which includes some brewer's grain from some local distilleries uh, it's the offset of, of what they brew, brew beer or whiskey with and otherwise would be trash. So we're helping them recycle a product that, that doesn't go by the wayside. Uh, we use cotton uh, seed hulls, which is the offset of, of gin and cotton. Um, we're able to use alfalfa. We're, we give them some calcium and some natural vitamins and minerals so that it, it helps their body sustain the perfect level while on grass. And then... We go in each week and we handpick, um, you know, this this steer looks ready. This steer isn't quite there. He'll wait another two weeks. And I do it based on certain visual specs that I see in that animal. Um, most of our steers are going to weigh anywhere from 1,200 to 1,350 when they go to harvest. Um, it all just depends on the size, the frame of the animal, um, and where I think their marbling is going to be. Uh, one cool thing is, you know, we can go in, we can go in now and, and we can scan for MR or, you know, scan for the ribeye size uh, with technology and we use that as well. So uh, it's a pretty busy schedule having to keep cattle in certain pastures, constantly rotate, keep them separated, track which ones are in which stage of the process. Um, you know, a normal day for us, we wake up, we're going and checking. And right now we're having, we're still putting out hay. We have no freaking grass. Um, ryegrass is starting to come up, but we just have not had rains. And so we're just dying to get some rains in. And, um, and then we'll start moving our cattle to all our summer grass uh, pastures and, and uh, rotating them constantly. Um, that's the key to to regenerative agriculture and being able to let mother nature utilize those natural byproduct of the manure and refertilize itself. Um, and by being able to graze them in high density gets rid of our weed issues. And, um, and it's a, it is a never ending nonstop job. Um, and then on top of that, you know, you're having to manage your input costs, you know, for the traditional person, I mean, they can't afford fertilizer right now. Yeah, it's costing anywhere from nine hundred to twelve hundred dollars a ton. And uh, people might ask, well, you know, what does that really mean in, in numerical dollars? Well, I can put it this way: you know, used to fertilizer cost like two hundred bucks a ton two years ago. So look at that multiple. Um, and even then, it was hard to just, you know. Before I came into the regenerative practices, it was still expensive then to put on grazing pastures. But now being able to recycle our own manure out of our pastures and go in and aerate all our pastures, it has done wonders to our program. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of points there that you make as far as, okay, fertilizer. It, it, it makes you feel very dependent on things that, you know, a lot of people are because when we look at fertilizer this year and what's going to happen, you know, there's a fertilizer shortage. You know, a lot of the stuff that I do as far as the research, you know, it's, it's on a global scale. So it's kind of, you know, I, I was talking about fertilizer shortages back at the first of the year, I believe. And, you know, here we are. We, we know it's going to happen. 
a lot of people don't understand okay the impact for one what you're seeing as far as the fertilizer shortage how does that affect somebody that does not uh that's not in the regenerative ag type of model and protocol that you are and in what you're seeing across the board within ranching and that's just one touch point as far as uh, uh, what could cause you know a, a disruption in our food supply the beef supply you know grain you know being grown this year all of that well you know Right off the top, I sent you an article this week mm-hmm. in the freaking Austin Statesman. Of all places, it's even talking about our cow herds are, 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 are diminishing. And that is true. So you look at South Texas, they're in a big drought. The hill country's been burning up. The panhandle is praying for rain. The West Coast has not been flushed with rain. The Midwest hasn't. So you have this perfect storm of all these people that have these cows that – they can't feed or cost effectively feed. They're just going to constantly lose money. So what we did is we took a lot of those older mama cows and we, we slaughtered them. That is what the majority of your ground beef is at the grocery stores. You know, we call them utility meats, canner cows. There's a lot of industry lingo we put behind it. But at the end of the day, that's why you saw you should not have seen extremely expensive ground beef, yet you were. And what's happened is we don't have those replacements coming back. Well, as well, we did not have a lot of pasture land all across the country with wheat and oats this winter. So you had cattle going directly into these feed yards and you saw a glut, an oversupply in the first part of the year. But what we're about to see and Everything that I'm reading and and studying is pointing in the direction that beef prices are going to continue to go up. Your steaks may not be as immediately affected, your upper tier meats, but your your middle meats, your your ground beef, your ribs, we anticipate your briskets, they will likely start rising again. Um, I'm not trying to predict some big colossal mess here, but... Uh, That is what the industry is saying we are headed. What does all these costs really mean? Well, what it means for a consumer, honestly, you know, you're going to see grocery store prices rise. You're going to see certain, uh, the higher end prime product is going to be much tougher to locate or to source. But what you're going to see from the producer, the farmer side of the ledger, our cost to raise these animals to, to feed hay to these cows. Whereas like a round bell down here, it costs us on a, you know, 35, 40 bucks to make, maybe 50. All depends how much fertilizer and whatnot you use. Now you may see round bells this year. I've even heard rumblings of $150 round bells. Well, you know, in one group of cows of 20, I feed four a week. Do the math on that, that cost will not work. Um, and so what you're going to see is these producers are getting more money for their cattle, yet their input costs do not match up with the increase in money that they're getting. So you're going to probably see greater losses or you're going to see people exiting the industry. This happened about seven or eight years ago. I think it was in 2011, 12. Um, and then we had a huge increase in prices. We all made a little bit of money and then it flatlined again. You're going to see the corporate packers still continue to make really good margins on the meat that they're cutting. 
and they're not passing that along to the farmer or to the consumer. Um, they're going to continue making making really good money while the rest of us suffer. Yeah, and that, that brings up about, you know, the, the big processors. And this is just facts that came out in the news and facts that our, our, our government, you know, reports to us. You know, we just we just went through uh, last month, I believe it was, when uh, JBS was fined that $56 million. And, you know, based on uh, price manipulation and everything. And, of course, the administration used it as, hey, look, you know, we, we really scolded these boys, you know, for being bad boys and all that kind of stuff. But people don't understand that $56 million goes to nobody. It's re- awarded to no- nobody in the industry. It's nothing but, you know, it's a distraction, really, of the, the deeper issues that are going on within the processing world as we know it. Um, a lot of people don't realize that 85% of our meat are are processed by four of the uh, the the processing centers and they're global companies. They're not, you know, companies that are based out of the United States. Three of them are out of Brazil, basically, you know, uh, JBS. Uh, the, I, think, I believe the parent parent company of these processing is, is called 3G Capital or something like that. But they stay pretty hidden as far as in the corporate structure. By saying that, the processing centers have got us all, uh, you know, that is the bottleneck. That is something that uh, people do not understand. And for 85% of your meat to be uh, service to you, processed and service to you by these four global processing centers, which, you know, they are, uh, they've been, uh, they've been fined uh, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars throughout the years. And so what it goes back to, what you're doing, what we're trying to do with the beef initiative is that we're circumventing around that. They can keep yeah. on doing, playing their game. That's okay. They're very good at it. Uh, we don't have to do it anymore. We're, we're going to demand good food. We're going to demand decentralized food. We're going to demand less touch points. And, you know, that's, that's that vertical integration that is basically becoming proof of work for us. Yeah, and I think from both sides of the ledger, from the consumer and the rancher side, you know, we're hopefully going to finally take our ownership back. So you ask yourself, like, how does a consumer take ownership back? Well, what it means is, is now through the, like the beef initiative, you have clear transparency of where your beef comes from. You have clear transparency of what they were given as far as shots. You have clear transparency of... Have they been implantable hormones? Most people don't even realize when you go out to eat, most of these steakhouses, you're eating rest, you're eating beef that doesn't necessarily come from the U.S. You're eating beef that's been implanted with hormones. You're eating beef that, um, you know, has not been raised in a stress-free environment. That's why when you, t- that's been the biggest struggle in the beef industry for 40 years. You take two prime ribeye steaks, neither one of them will taste the same. There is a true reason for that. Yet, I can tell you, if you take two prime steaks that are raised ethically in a, in a grass-type environment, and even on a non-GMO grain, you can see a very similar taste profile. That's the difference. And that's where people, as they're starting to get acclimated to buying directly from the ranchers, they're like, holy crap, this is something different. Yes, it is. It is completely different. This is what your grandparents and great-grandparents were able to eat on for years, yet it all changed. We're going to take that ownership back through the beef initiative. 
Yeah, and that that's what's so exciting. I love talking about our grandparents because the the type of life that they lived and in and how they got us to where we can and reflect back and have that type of wisdom and have that roadmap and that blueprint on how to do this and how to approach it, you know, within the lifestyle itself, within basically the education of itself. You know, you know, we talk about education. We don't within the beef initiative and within K and C cattle we don't have to sell anything because this there's nothing to sell here the only thing you can do is educate on the truth and follow that vertical integration and educate that vertical integration into people's lifestyles that basically you know it becomes a health initiative in the in the long run that you know what the american rancher is going to lead in the the type of protocol that you have as a as a rancher in the beef initiative is bringing to the public you know you think about that and i'm going to say it again the american rancher is going to be leading the health initiative of the united states it's not talked about enough and you bring it up every time you and I talk you talk about you know what sometimes people come to me and they say hey this is too expensive for me and you're first to point out well you look at this as a long-term decision and a lifestyle that you invest in that you're very intentionally with your medical costs will go down in your life it is a health initiative and it's something we need to start educating on it is and what people need to realize too is you know they can go to their local ranchers and buy in bulk and for the majority of the ranchers I know, you know, their pricing is going, if you take each cut by poundage, go toe to toe against any grocery store, unless you're just buying junk trash meat. If you try to go similar apples to apples, ground beef that's 80-20 against ground beef that's 80-20, ribeyes that are prime against, or, you know, whatever that your rancher is marketing. I guarantee you when you buy in bulk, nine times out of 10, they ought to be able to beat the grocery stores. I'm not saying that there aren't some ranchers out there that get a premium, and maybe they do. I didn't design our company that way because I want more and more people to be able to try our product and to get on board with our product. And as I've said, I, I don't mean it with arrogance. I, I mean it very modestly, and, and quite frankly, I'm I've been blessed to, to get this kind of feedback through Google reviews and website reviews and Facebook comments, but it, it just is better and tastes different. And it, it tastes richer. People love that flavor. And it, if more and more people realize that, what it can do for your cholesterol levels, what it can do for overall health. You know, Slim, we talked about this the other day. This is one of the few times where we can take people of varying opinions. I've had vegans, and you have too, that have talked to us. We've had folks that are huge environmentalists that were against cattle. We've had the opposite side of the ledger. You have hardcore ranchers and producers that are like, that. you know, I don't give a damn about all that. I care about making more money. And then you have some folks that have just some common middle ground. They're like, hey, I want to I buy something that, that makes me self, you know, food conscious and health consciously feel uh, secure. I want to buy something from someone I know. And what we've been able to see is we can take all sides of the spectrum. And with what we're doing with regenerative ag, it covers, it makes the people that are, that are real conscious about the environment, makes them feel better. Oh, hey, for the producer that's just worried about profits, you can finally make more money doing it this way. And for the consumer that just is kind of right there in the middle, this meets the exact expectations of what they're trying to get. So we can finally actually bring everyone together. It's not a, 
you know, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. It's not a, I feel for this agenda or I feel for that agenda. It's one thing we can all commonly share and actually come together and say, you know what, we can work together and have something great. And we're finally, I'm seeing it and I'm seeing it not on just 10 customers. I'm seeing it on a very large spectrum. And uh, that makes me tick and get my ass up every single day and go to work. Yeah, I mean, it is. It, it's it's exciting right now because how it is unfolding, uh, we've talked about that as well. Um, you know, as far as this, this is this is about food intelligence. This is about, you know, getting out of a food ditch if you're in a food ditch and looking at, you know, how you can change your life, how you can change your consumption model and how you can really be, you know, I, I always like, man, I'm bringing up the kids because this is about saving kids' lives too and get the, getting them based in nutrition at a very young age. And the, 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 the simplicity of it all is sometimes confusing to people. And that's what I want to reiterate. This is not a big hard step to the right or left. This is basically a, a, a hard, you know, get toe to toe with being intentional about your food intelligence, knowing where it comes from and establishing some damn good relationships that you're going to have for the rest of your lives. You know, I, I tell everybody, you go out and meet a rancher and you make sure that you're sending them Christmas cards every year. You, you create a new family friend. And both of you and I have already met tons and tons of people just by uh, whenever we first met in that type of networking effect that we're kind of establishing and it's decentralized in a way. It's not about a marketing plan. It's not about a sales pitch. It's not about anything except being, you know, like-minded and educating ourselves across the bridge, you know, bridging those gaps of education from wherever anybody comes through in their lifestyle, their belief systems, their political, it doesn't matter anymore. We're tired of that argument. It doesn't work within the beef initiative. It doesn't work with KNC cattle and it's not going to work in the state of texas if you're going to come along with this type of uh new market access to pure animal protein i mean i love saying that <laughs> it's just it's truth though and that's what's so fun about this i agree michael jordan said it best somebody asked him one time why well, you don't get involved in politics he said well hell i sell nikes to democrats and republicans <laughs> yep we want to provide beef to all size of all of each ledger to people of all varying opinions don't really care but what people just need to really understand is and you nailed it we're not trying to sell a product we're trying to help you understand what it is you're consuming it'll sell itself um and and it's not just my beef uh you know it's jason it's it's all these other ranchers across the state that are busting their butts no different than i am and he is we're all trying to put in the effort to bring you an animal that we're, you know, we're all stewards of the earth, regardless of what people may think. We may have been guided and thrown money at years, you know, for years by these chemical companies and uh, by big pharma telling us what we have to do. Now we've realized we can take that ownership back. And it wasn't that we ever gave in and said, we don't care about the, the stability of our animal. I can, I can vouch for all ranchers and saying that we very much care uh i can promise you when that you know the snowstorms are hitting and we're out in the freezing ass cold putting hay out and pulling babies and putting them in the house we do care uh, but it's also to the point most people aren't going to go into an industry when they know at the end of the year you know 
farmers and ranchers, obviously we're not W-2 earners, but when we go and, and we bust our ass and we put in all these hours of labor to make a negative net, you would ask yourself, why in the hell would you do this? It's because we are that passionate about the industry. And now it's time for us to finally be able to make a manageable income. And that is where I'm hoping I can contribute to other producers and help the consumers understand. You may have to pay a little bit more, <clears throat> but you're going to get a guaranteed consistent product from us. And if you don't like it, or if you don't like the product you got from your rancher, you need to go have that conversation back. Um, because I, I, I guarantee you most of them will work with you. Um, uh, we do, you know, we kind of have a guarantee. We're like, look, our pitch line is we guarantee you will love it. And if you don't, I'm going to come pick the meat up because, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want you to not be pleased with what you're getting. Uh, and neither does any of the other ranchers that are involved are going to be involved in the beef initiative. And that's a good point as far as other ranchers, you know, everybody, you know, across the board, there's all types of different ranchings, different, different demographics, different belief systems, different education. And, you know, within the beef initiative and exactly what you're doing with your protocol and how you're raising these, these, these cattle is that, you know, a lot of people are get very uh, black and white about the issue of grass fed grass, you know, grain finish, all this grass fed grass finish. It just gets so uh, it gets tiring. And what we have to do is we have to look at the, the North American. We'll start with North American. I'll bring Canada because, dang, there's got a lot of great ranchers up in Canada. But uh, what we have to do is we have to look at every rancher's situation, how he got there and actually be kind of a beacon within the beef initiative in KNC cattle and say, you know, we know where you are. It's okay. We know the manipulations. We know the corruptions. We know the captures. We know all that kind of stuff because we do. And so by saying that, we want to work with you. We want to give you something that maybe, hey, maybe you can get out from under, you know, that uh, JBS or that Cargill Processing Center. You know, maybe you can change up your uh, protocol a little bit and start gearing this direction towards the vertical integration that we're talking about. Um, and even, you know, you and I have talked about going out to certain feed yards and saying, Hey, let's work with these guys. Let's talk to them to let them know that we're, what we're doing. And you kind of said it best today earlier, as far as what would, if we, if whenever we do put it that way, whenever we do go into some of these uh, feed yards, what would be a good um, kind of narrative and protocol of communication to have with this type of place? So people can understand the transitional things that would happen and what's available for people trying to ranchers trying to get out from under the umbrella you know i think and all of it's relative to where you're located you know the panhandle the reason that they put all those feed yards if you ever if you go back into the history and and really research why the panhandle of texas well it's real simple it's the easiest place for commodity it was a good centralized location where you can transport cattle all across the united states east west midwest which is the breadbasket of of the world um, you know, you have yards in New Mexico, Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas. We got some down here in South Texas. Each of them have a different profile, but what we can do, you know, one of the biggest, excuse me, I had the hiccups. One of the biggest things that I have seen, because I, I've done some studies of my, my own, um, but you're seeing more and more studies being performed by universities <clears throat> is spacing, being able to give the cattle ample room to graze and to be able to move about. There is a purpose for feed yards. The purpose is, is a lot of ranches 
for instance, let's look, I mean, God forbid, Texas may be there if we don't start getting rain. But look at like southern New Mexico or even that study uh, that was done in, in the Chihuahua Desert of Mexico. You had a guy that was sitting grazing cattle as much as he could on his forage. But at some point in the seasonality, there is no way he can carry that animal. It, it didn't matter how much water he was able to get to the crop. It got too hot and the forage would not sustain. So what did he do? He had to send his cattle to a place to be able uh, to be an extension of his operation, which was that feed yard. So what we do, and I see going in, you know, is going to these yards and saying, hey, guys, look, the industry is changing. We're already seeing it. You're finally seeing feed yards that carry NHTC cattle, which is non-hormone treated cattle. Oh, my goodness. I never would have thought that would happen five years ago. And now we're seeing yards that are doing it. They recognize that consumers actually give a damn about it. So I don't think they're blinded to what's coming. Aging beef is another huge thing with processors. That's why local beef tastes different. You get to age it longer. We can age it 14, 21 days versus your traditional meats age three. So you take a, a, a cow or a steer that's not stressed um, that has room to roam about, that has grass turnout, and they can even be offset with a, a forage program or, you know, a feeding program that's forage based to really still drive home that marbling, still have a cost of gain that's effective to the producer. And now you've created a feed yard that doesn't have a hundred cows in a, you know, a, a 40 by 40 pen, not that that actually happens, but they are tighter confinement. So you open that spacing up. No, you can't run as many, but they also have to restructure how their program is designed and what their feed costs are and how many people are working, you know, all their overhead costs, but that can be done. And if that's done, we can, there are ways in which they can work. Uh, in my opinion, i I know of one specifically that does just that. They have a great pasture program. Um, and they've designed this and they're seeing good performance data on the animals. And a lot of the podcasters probably don't care about performance data. Producers, we do. What is our cost? Well, when you go into regenerative agriculture, you're not worried as much about the cost per animal. You're worried about how much money do you make per acre. If we can take that mindset even back into these feeding facilities to where they start being able to transition their thoughts towards how much money can we make per acre off our forage programs, now we can change it. It won't happen overnight, folks. They're not the big bad wolves. They're doing exactly how the industry designed them to be. So no different than they changed 40 years ago, we got to shift that change again and it starts somewhere. So not attacking that industry. I'm saying we got to be at the forefront and help them recognize that there are other ways to do things. And I think with that, we'll start getting the, a positive reception. Yeah, I mean, you brought up a good point, you know, Panhandle of Texas, you know, that's where I was born and raised. It's where I am right now. And you're, you're right, man. You want to talk about feed yards. I mean, that's all there is. I mean, I grew up and if there was any dew on the grass, man, you smelled manure, even if you're in the middle of the city. So, uh, you know, the, the feed yards are, are huge. You know, you have places called like Hereford, Texas. You know, they've got all the four processors out there. You know, that's what a Hereford is, is those processing centers. And 
And but what I like, and it's been a reflection of what you've told me as well. You know, uh, Justin up here, my friend Justin. You know, he opened up his uh, microprocessing center. You know, he's regenerative all the way. You know, he he likes to call himself a grass farmer. And so you're getting people that are in this industry up here in the Texas Panhandle that are going into the regenerative way, and they're finding ways to do it. Because if you look, you know, 40 years ago, I mean, and all the way back to let's say the Texas cattle industry starting in 1878 and you know how they had to transition out of wars and into feeding a nation you know that's what we're doing and a lot of that did start in the texas panhandle and you know from charles goodnight you know that's that's who established the texas panhandle doing the cattle drives and you know a lot of people don't realize charles goodnight that's uh he's loosely based on the the movie lonesome dove so there's so much heritage is what i'm getting at in history that we can look at and say yeah we were taught this way way back when it got us to here about 40 years ago we kind of had to adapt to the industry because it became globalized and industrialized in a way we didn't understand by these chemical companies but guess what it doesn't matter where we are we can go back to our old ways and uh, that's the fun part about it because it does give a reflection of who we are where we came from and it, what it does, I mean, I brought you brought it up on a separate podcast. We're bringing bringing kind of a toughness that we know that we have in us. You know, you and me being you know generational Texans that uh, are you know we respect our where we come from. Uh, we grew up <laughs> pretty rough and tough, and so you know by saying that, how many people have you heard? that you know that you grew up with in the agricultural industry you know especially with your education and you know starting out in grade school all the way to high school all the way to college because you know everybody across the state how many people are you seeing across the state starting to look over you and say hey cole uh i kind of like what you're doing you know at first it wasn't a very (laughs) very warm (laughs) reception no no it wouldn't be a lot of what i got is what in the hell are you thinking uh, I was going against the status quo. Um, you know, I'm, I'm breaking the cowboy code, but it wasn't actually breaking the code. What I was doing is trying to do the opposite of what had been grained in us. You know, I never said you can't ride horses to pen cattle. Hell, I ride them all the time, almost every day when time permits. Uh, I still work, work, work cattle on horseback. Um, so no, we, I'm not at all changing that. But what I, going back to the answer to your question, what I have seen is over the last two years, so many of us were manipulated through the market, either from COVID or from the corporate packers, and we're sick of it. There's so many people, you know, I've said this before, and now it's probably 65 or six. The average age of a rancher was 64 years old, and it's getting higher every day. Young people aren't going in this industry. So the young ones, you know, we're at least cognizant and are figuring out, hey, you can do e-commerce or, you know, things are driven through an online platform. Uh, Purchases are made uh, online and not necessarily at stores anymore. We're receiving that and we're saying we're starting to see that like, hey, you know, these corporate companies don't give a damn about us. You know, Cargill, Monsanto, they don't give a shit. And excuse my language, but I feel very passionate about that. They don't. And it has taken, you know, so many people that are in agriculture, several of us, including myself, also work other jobs in order to supplement this. 
And coincidentally, a lot of them had in some form or fashion either have worked for seed companies for, you know, these fertilizer companies, these drug companies, and they saw them, you know, with the shot mandates and all this stuff, turn their back on them and not give a damn about what their personal thoughts or feelings were. And they realized they were just another pawn. They were just another number. And now I'm starting to see the reception change. I've had, I have a good friend in the panhandle that, uh, you know, they've been in the feeding business for a long time. They own feed yards. And about two weeks ago, he called me and they're like, Hey man, we saw you've been doing this beef program. Talk to me about it. Well, hell, I'm, I'm an open book. Let's talk. I'll tell you all about it. I'll tell you the headaches and I'll tell you the blessings. And they're recognizing that they're tired of being at that mercy too. And they're, they're big players, huge, huge players. And if they're recognizing it, that's a, that's an acceptance by the industry. Yeah, it really is. And I, I can speak firsthand about that. I mean, I, I see the I see these guys every day because that's just where I was raised. And, you know, it's just to, to understand the industry on the level that you and I do. I mean, for what you just said, that that means something because, you know, there's some powerful, big beef people in the Texas panhandle. And for them to be looking down south at a protocol that, you know, they haven't used in the last 40 years, basically, because that's what got them here in the first place. You know, that's pretty powerful. And, you know, that's going to be fun to kind of steward. And once again, there's that education. You know, you get to educate and you get to filter through me. I get to educate the public. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a streamlined process that's going on here as far as crowdsourcing information, the education to where it actually makes intentional change that uh, we're doing on so many different touch points in every single bit of it is, is something that we can circumvent and that we can take the empowerment back and we can put the value of the cow where we want to put the value of the cow instead of being dictated to the rancher and the consumer. Exactly. You couldn't have said it any better, man. Well, good. I'm, I'm trying to get good at this because you've been teaching me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that that's that's a good rundown today. And, you know, not, I told you earlier, we're going to have some fun tonight, too. And, uh, you know, I wanted to tell a couple of stories. I want to talk about um, before we segue into that, I want to talk about the beef initiative and what it means to uh, me and what it means to to you as far as you're going to be one of the the great speakers there we've got a hell of a lineup it's very diverse from uh, health to nutrition to ranching to bitcoin to me uh and you know it's it's kind of fascinating that it's going to happen because we you know we haven't been at this very long it's six seven months now since i first started and i wrote an article you know and here we are right now um, the Beef Initiative Conference, you know, it is in Kerrville, Texas. I picked Kerrville, Texas because of one thing. I wanted people because I knew a lot of people from the Austin area, Central Texas, were going to come to the, you know, whoever does come to the, uh, the conference. I wanted them to drive from Austin to Kerrville. There's history there. There's uh, there's small towns. You go on that drive, you know, from Fredericksburg, you have, you know, you can go through, you can go by and see. There's so much you can do, circumvent. You can go to Lukenbach. You can go to Mason. You can go to Johnson City. You can go to Yano. And, you know, knowing the Texas Hill Country is is 
is fascinating and it has a history to it that a lot of people don't understand. I'm very big into Texas history because it's important to know it. And then the conference is going to be held at the, the Museum of Western Art there in Kerrville. It's a very renowned international mu- you know, um, museum of art that is basically about the Texas cowboy and about Texas history. And so just coming to that conference, you're going to get a bonus that people don't realize that they're going to be able, they're not going to want to leave. It's They're not going to have enough time doing that. So I thought it was the perfect example of bringing the education that we're talking about, kind of forecasting a path forward to where we give um, all of our listeners, our consumers, our, you know, our friends, you know, that market access that we haven't seen in our lifetime. And I think that Kerrville is a perfect start. I think, you, you know, we're going to have a steak dinner afterwards. You're going to be providing the beef, of course, <laughs> that's on your plate. And so, you know, whenever I, I decided to have this conference, the first person I wanted there was you. What does it mean to you to be able to kind of start the beef initiative off, you know, our partnership that we've established, you know, what, what are you going to want to talk about and what are you, what does it mean to you? Um, I'm just flattered and honored to be a part of this. And, and more than anything, I'm excited for the folks that are coming, you know, it'll be a great vacation weekend for, you know, even if you don't want to hear people talk about freaking cattle in the industry over and over, that's not what we're going to do. Yes, you're going to hear some good stuff about it. But at the same time, aside from the education piece, we're going to have a lot of fun. And by gosh, if you leave there and you're not so damn full, you go comatose, I'm going to be pissed. (laughs) Uh, We're going to give you all kinds of stuff to try, all different cuts. Um, Our chef, Johnny, uh, that works with me, he he has some pretty cool stuff lined up for you all to try out. You know, for me, the way I look at it, I want to come in and, and, and let people have some insight on what it's like being a rancher. We're going to have some fun. I'm not going to be some damn monotone speaker that just hits you with a bunch of information. Uh, it's, I'm going to tell you a little bit about cattle. I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of our struggles, but I'm also going to let you be, uh, as a listener and, and as a participant in the conference, you're going to get to interact and, uh, hopefully put your, your, yourself in the shoes of, of a rancher for, for a day and uh, kind of announce some really, really cool things that we have coming down the line that you can be a part of. So even if you live in urban America, we got some ways to get you involved in the cattle industry too, if it's something you enjoy. Or hey, even if you want to source meat for your whole family and your friends or your neighborhood, we're going to talk about some opportunities there. Um, we have a great lineup of speakers for those that are interested in, in Bitcoin and what it can do to, to better extend and and uh, allow you to mine your protein sources. And even for those who aren't interested in Bitcoin or or don't understand the concept, there's going to be a lot of really, really cool speakers with um, amazing history behind them uh, that that are going to tell you their life stories. They're going to tell you what they do, how they've been successful. Um, You know, and I'm just excited to be a part of change to be a part of something bigger, to be able to give back to an industry that I love and I'm so passionate about. You know, if y'all heard me on a podcast before, you know, I'm, I'm an annoying banker during the day and <laughs> kind of that chameleon uh, cowboy in uh, early morning hours and after work hours. Um, but, you know, we all come from different walks of life. At the end, we all got to feed ourselves, And we're going to talk about some pretty cool ways on how, how we're doing that and how we plan on changing that. 
That that's an excellent rundown, and you just made me remember. We're talking about the conference. We need to sell some more tickets, um, and I just established a uh, a, a discount code, and it's going to be you go to beefinitiative.com, you uh, sign up to get some tickets. You of course can buy your tickets with Bitcoin, of course. Uh, we wouldn't do anything without being able to purchase in Bitcoin. But anybody listening to this podcast right now, you can go buy your tickets, and you can have a discount code ten percent. It's going to be Slim, S-I-S-L-I-M, Slim is a discount code. So if you're listening to this podcast, share it and, uh, you know, get some people uh, signing up for those tickets, 10% off. Uh, you bring up something, you know, that I wanted to talk about as far as um, <laughs> having fun. You know, you and I, you being from Texas and everybody gets so sick of that, but I'm not ever going to quit saying it. But Texas <laughs> is different. Texas, growing up in Texas, we got a form of toughness to us. And you and I got a little proof of work of toughness and you know we we in texas like to tell stories and i I can tell some damn good stories and i know you can too so i'm going to start a story here and it's going to get kind of long and you might get bored but i don't think you will cole but time i get to a certain point of this story i'm going to hand it off to you and you're going to finish the story because it's a story you told me and i'm going to put you in a corner here (laughs) great well you know what I came to Austin, I don't know, whenever that ice storm was and the whole damn town shut down, right? And we're going to do that podcast with uh, Marty. And that's actually when I went and scoped out Kerrville. (laughs) And so I'd driven into Austin, you know, I grew up, most of my adult life was in Austin. I got there when I was 19 and, you know, it was always made me laugh because everybody in Austin, boy, if it, you know, the ice hits, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, ice blast 99. I remember the media and the whole town just shuts down. Well, I just drove into Austin and, you know, I, there was nothing on the toll roads. There was nothing. I was like, well, hell, this is nice. They're opening up the city for me. They're welcoming me back. And so, you know, I went downtown and we met up and, um, we were, uh, getting ready to do podcast with Marty and I'm sitting there trying to act tough with you and kind of picking your brain and everything. And you guys, uh, before I move on, um, Cole's a professional team roper. Uh, he'll, I'll let you tell him to tell you more about that, but we're sitting there waiting for the podcast. And I was like, you know what, Cole? I said, man, when these storms hit, the only thing that pisses me off is I, you know, my neck hurts, my arms hurt. Cause you know, I've broken 20 bones and you know, I've broken my neck and I've got uh, 14 pieces of metal in me. And you know, when I broke my neck, I was up in the mountains and I was up cutting timber in a jeep and i went flipping in a jeep and i flipped about 20 times and i ended up getting airlifted from uh the southern rockies into albuquerque and uh you know they said well hey you got a broken neck and uh so they they put me into surgery and everything and i they cut out part of my hip and spliced my neck and put all the metal up there. <laughs> and I'm stranded here in Albuquerque, New Mexico in a hospital, and I don't have any way out. And I don't have any clothes because they cut them all off of me. Hell, they flew me in on a helicopter. I thought I was on a Cessna, and they had me so doped up with morphine. So I was, you know, I was all lost. And, you know, I was going about to tell you that story. <laughs> and you said, well, yeah, I've been hurt a couple of times. You know, there, something happened, and in, in, in before I go on, there's a place called earth texas guys and you want to talk about uh, manure and flies <laughs> and there's a place called mule shoe that's really close and they call it jenny slipper well cole had an accident out there in earth texas and i'm going to hand it off to you cole <laughs> oh i did not know that was the story um, <laughs> well yeah you know as not that i'm 
I'm super old. My body and all the metal in it thinks I am. But when I was uh, young and dumb and in college, I love, I, I've been an adrenaline junkie forever. So, you know, if, if, if anything dangerous I could do, I could do. Long story short, I was at a ranch rodeo and I, the guy that rode our, our bucking horse, our, our saddle bronc horse, um, couldn't show up. So I got voluntold, um, and I did volunteer here. I'm not going to lie. I wanted to, <laughs> uh, so I had to ride the bucking horse. So long story short, um, I was, uh, I rode the horse and we're, you know, in, in saddle bronc or in ranch bronc riding, either one, you ride the horse, you buck, you ride eight seconds. And then another guy on a horse comes and picks you up. We call him the pickup man. Well, the horse is bucking. I, I make the eight seconds and I go to get off and the damn pickup man put his arm around me to, to get me off the bucking horse. And when he did, his horse spooked, dropped my ass on the ground, ran over the top of me, split my collarbone out the skin. And it basically just made a perfect X. And <laughs> the thing with our Texas, you don't really have an ER and we damn sure didn't have an ambulance because we're not a hospital. So well, uh, you're in Earth, Texas, right? Earth, Texas. Earth, Texas. <laughs> in the population of so, about a thousand, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, I get up. I'm excited. I just rode this crazy wild horse, and I go to, you know, I'm I'm ready to pull my hat off, throw it in the air, and I'm like, oh shit, I can't move my arm. <laughs> I look over, my bones hanging out of the skin. I'm like, oh damn, this hurts. <laughs> it's probably a lot more word said, but. So the worst part of Earth, Texas, like I said, there's nowhere near, nowhere close. Well, I'm geographically challenged at this point anyway, and I am geographically challenged. So I drive a six-speed dually, and, you know, I, I learned and I mastered that night how to shift, how to push my left leg against the clutch, take my right leg against the steering wheel, and with my – because I, I tore all this up on the right side, so you shift gears with your right, you know, with – with your right hand so i had to reach across with the left and every time i had to shift a gear i just started quit i didn't even use the clutch anymore i just shifted gear so i didn't have to move my body and i drove my happy ass to the doctor in lubbock texas it was about an hour and a 45 minute drive with <laughs> bone hanging out of my skin i was such a dummy um but that was well, that was uh crazy well you know the thing about that is that people will say well why didn't your friends <laughs> you know take your or something like that I said, well i couldn't leave my truck there right oh no no I, one i couldn't leave my truck there but two the rodeo wasn't over exactly we still had to I, <laughs> and if i could have i would have been right in the middle of it but it just wasn't possible and so you know of course they offered i'm like hell no we got to win this thing y'all get your ass back out there and compete <laughs> so uh no it, it that was some of my early young stupidity. And now I just have more controlled stupidity. You have a uh, control stupidity that basically, but before that, I guess you've had a couple of knees blown out perhaps. Uh, yeah. I've redone both my shoulders, my rotators or rotator cuffs, um, broke both my legs. Um, yeah. I, I, I broke ribs, all my fingers. I can't even flip you off straight. Uh, if I get mad at, I, if the if the if your listeners could see, I would show them and they would laugh. But my fingers are so freaking yeah, they bent. they go backwards. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not going to be a hand model for my next career. So no. Uh, well, at least you got your thumbs. I mean, you are a roper. I have not lost them. Thank goodness. Let, knock on wood. Let's talk about that. What happens to a roper who, who loses his thumb? How does that happen? 
All right. So it usually happens in the team roping. So when you rope the rope, rope your steer, you take your rope and you take it in a circle around the saddle horn of your saddle. And that's what keeps the leverage against the rope and the horse, you know, will pull the steer. Well, for the header, the guy that ropes the horns, which is what I mainly do. When you're going real fast, your horse seems to want to go left. We get them to go quickly left because it's a timed event. Everything's based on how fast you can rope the horns and your healer ropes the two feet. And so if you go too fast, sometimes your rope is not completely tied on the saddle horn. And when we go around that horn, your thumb is up. Well, if you do it too quick, you can make your rope basically half hitch or get hung in that, that coil. And when that happens, your hand sucks down. That's how I broke all my fingers. I've just been fortunate I never cut them off. But typically when it happens, it'll it'll serrate your entire thumb. And so once you go into shock, typically they'll get your thumb. We wear gloves, so you have to cut the glove, get your thumb out, and then hopefully if you're lucky, they can sew it. But most any old, a lot of the old ropers you'll see have a nub instead of a full thumb. It's because they... They had to sew it back <laughs> as high as they were able to, but uh, I've been fortunate. I, I haven't had that happen. Yeah, you know, I, I think I've I've met about three or four guys without a, you know, with with either a half a thumb or no thumb. You know, it, it just just depends on the timing and location. If you're in North Texas, you're probably screwed. You're not going to get oh, that yeah. thumb <laughs> sewed back on. You know, you showed me your hands. I'm going to show you mine too. It's like, you know, I, I've I've lost that pinky half of it oh shit yeah oh my goodness i didn't notice that i know i I hide it pretty well everybody catches it you know it's a good conversation piece i i can tell when somebody spots it and they you know i'll start a conversation and i'll just tell them that i used to hang out in japan and you know it was kind of (laughs) that japanese mafia (laughs) shit so it's fun it's fun to mess with people on that but uh you know you you and i are going to tell many stories uh we're going to have fun you you and i were talking the other day and and uh, you even said it on the, the I'll give a plug to uh, Clemenza and Soloso on their uh, podcast now, the Meat Mafia podcast. You guys go check oh, yeah. that out. Those guys are doing wonderful things. They're going to be along with us for the ride. Uh, there's a lot of things being talked about, a lot of speaking stuff going on. You know, a lot of uh, services about to come up and there'll be some good announcements coming forward. But uh, as far as, you know, being a lifestyle, bringing that toughness back to our our um, our families and back to, you know, us as being men, uh, women, you know, cowgirls are some of the most, you know, I, I just respect what they do with the horse, the relationships that they have with a horse. You know, there's so much out there right now that is an opportunity for people to point their compass and to start with kind of the source of the seed of their food and look <laughs> at the lifestyles that come along with that, the toughness, the grit, you know, the being gritty as you can be because you have to be because it came from our, our grandparents surviving. It wasn't a luxury thing, uh, but what we can do is we can bring some eloquence and sophistication that will basically bring a luxury to our lives because, you know, what we've gone through the last couple of years and what the the cattle industry has gone through at least the last 40 years, you know, there's a new lifestyle to be had here and we can all have fun doing it. And this year is going to be, you know, just wrought with opportunities and uh, we're going to, we're going to meet so many great people, uh, 
um, the Bitcoin community, the ranching community. You know, I'm going to get back to going to rodeos. You're going to rope some this year. You already roped a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. What do you see from your side? You know, we talk about Yellowstone being the TV show and all that kind of stuff being very popular. You know, people got the radar out for some type of Western heritage, cowboy heritage. And I, I, I'm going to have a blast doing that. I'm going to start wearing my damn cowboy head more. That's for sure. Well, the, you know, the Western lifestyle, it, it is, you know, as a team roper, as a guy that participates in rodeo, it's, it embodies everything that we stand for. You know, I went to the Bob Feist Invitational, which in the team roping world is, it is the, 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 the Super Bowl of team roping. Besides, we also have a big event in Vegas, right? Right. But this is the most prestigious, oldest team roping there is. And I ride into the, you know, the Lazy Arena in, in Guthrie, Oklahoma. And it's huge. This thing is ginormous. And it is so cool to watch how people in the Western lifestyle react. The announcer comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, please join us and a salute to our flag and gives a nice eulogy before. There isn't a person in there that doesn't pull their cowboy hat off. And before we compete, you go to prayer. And there's not a person that doesn't have a cowboy hat off and go to prayer. And it's just such an awesome camaraderie against each other. You know, we're, we're all competing against each other, but really we're not. We're competing against the, the steer that we draw, the horses that we ride, and just elevating each other. And no different than the beef industry, the rodeo industry has been under attack, especially, uh, specifically like right now in California. They're trying to ban all Western yep. sports. And we're all having to band together, and this is so crazy, but we're having to write letters to congressmen and whatnot not to ban it because if it starts in California, then it's going to just continue to go across the country. And, you know, we've been able to fight off this fake meat that they're pushing, um, put that back into everything that the Western world is, is still encountering. And I sure hope that all these folks that are watching Yellowstone – appreciate and respect that way of life and don't want to see it disappear. And I think if any, any time, this will be our chance to, to really defend it. I, I'm leaving in two weeks, actually. So we have the beef, uh, the, the beef initiative conference on Saturday. I'm going to turn around, drive to Austin, drive to Fort Worth, the United States team roping championships uh, and rope there um, that Tuesday morning. And it's uh, thousands of people compete. And it is so cool to watch all these young kids. Holy smokes. They're tough, tough, tough. And there's so many people getting into it. People joke with me about being a banker. Hell, you know, two o'clock, you're taking off on Fridays to go play golf. Well, oddly, a ton of my clients either team rope or involved in, in cutting or raining or some Western discipline. And it's really, really catching fire. And I hope it does. I hope people can, appreciate what we do because it truly is just a love for the animals and uh, the utmost respect for it. And it's a, it's a camaraderie that you can't understand in football because it's pure. And what I mean by that, we, we don't get paid unless you win. We put up our entry fees and we get humbled all the time. One day you're on top of the world. Next day, you're only as good as the last one you wrote. Um, and that sadly is, is what we're seeing across the Western front. Um, and hopefully people can appreciate the purity that is behind it, that we give everything we have. And sometimes we don't even have it to give and we're going to give it. 
And so I think it complements really well with the beef initiative and what we're doing. Yeah. I've, I, from the very beginning, the, you know, talking with you, I said, man, I want to bring in the rodeo world, you know, professional rodeo, bull riding, whatever we got, you know, barely, all of it, the gamut. And what people don't understand right now with this prohibition uh, that is going on with, uh, you know, with uh, basically communications, prohibition of space, prohibition of travel, prohibition of certain freedoms that a lot of people take for granted. There's no better way to get back to the source of the seed of your type of freedom and your empowerment than to go to a, a freaking rodeo, being in a small little town, uh, be it a meat-sized you know, rodeo, whatever it is, you're going to go to those once and you're going to be hooked for the rest of your life. You're going to smell things that you've never smelled before that just enlighten your spirit and you're going to, you know, you're going to hear things. You're going to hear, you know, a type of chatter around there. You're going to, you're going to get educated to the 10th degree. You're going to be outside. There's just something magical about it. And, you know, what I love about the, you know, the rodeo lifestyle is the travel as you go into these different communities. And, you know, whenever you were very active doing that, I mean, it's nonstop. I mean, that's just you're going from rodeo to roping to roping to roping. And, you know, there you can tell us tons of stories of road tripping across the United States. And that's what we're going to do with the Beef Initiative. We're building those nodes just like a rodeo is. You know, we're going town to town. We're going across the state of Texas. We're letting everybody else look at us from the United States saying, hey, follow this slide of the beef initiative. This is the type of culture we're going to bring back. And it's fun. It's honest. It's pure. It's based on truth. It's based on history. It's based on tradition. And it's got a lot of strength to it that's going to, you know, get people thinking differently again. And that change is going to be something that's completely beneficial to their family and to their to their legacy. It starts now and it starts this year. And this is going to be, you know, this is going to be the fun part. So saying that, you got me in a corner in my own mind here. I'm, we're going to have to start talking about rodeos. You're going to have to start giving me stuff, and I'll start tweeting them out, like what, which ones people should be looking at across Texas or just the circuit or something. You can start feeding me on a text, and I'll tweet them out from uh, Modern Team Man, and we'll do that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm fortunate my wife has got into raining. And for those that watch Yellowstone, you know, they are, she's gotten into cutting, but, uh, you know, it was pretty cool at the cutting fraternity in December, it was in Fort Worth. And so you had the whole half the Yellowstone cast is there at the cutting. They're all riding. It was a big celebrity deal. And, and, you know, they tried to, to bring uh, a lot of folks that watch show don't realize there were horse trainers that are in there and, and, and we're teaching these guys how to do it. There's some of the best damn horses in the industry that you got to see on that show. Uh, and so, you know, Taylor Sheridan's really tried to shed light, uh, on the Western way of life and the four sixes ranch and the history behind that and how important and how big of a placeholder they hold in our history as a country, not just in Texas, uh, but in the United States. Um, I mean, hell, California was one of the team rope and rodeo capitals of the, for years. Mm-hmm. And now California, we're having to fight just to be able to, to, to have events and, um, you know, of course, Las Vegas in the month of December is, uh, they turn it into a cowboy town. Yes, but, they do. Um, it, it's, it really is a special industry and, uh, no, I'd love to do that. I'd love to share on it and, uh, 
talk about some of these companies that are that are stepping behind and, and trying to endorse them. Yeah, um, we need to get that word out there. So everybody needs to be intentional about, you know, who they're following as far as any type of media, any type of marketing, advertising, anytime, you know, you need to associate yourself within the like minded industry that you want to basically, you know, give your money to uh, invest your time into your attention spans to, uh, you know, you, we talk about ranches, I'm gonna let's let's name off some ranches, I want people to understand the state of Texas, where I come from, it was up here in the Texas Panhandle, okay, from we had the XIT, we had the Matador, we got the four sixes, you know, the, you want to talk about some vast, very large ranches back in the day. How fascinating was that? You know, those ranches being established and, you know, when they were in the late 1800s, all the way, early 1900s. Yeah. You had them, you had the pitchfork, you have the, uh, you know, you said XIT. And then of course the King ranch down here in South Texas, uh, there were just so many that, that, that owned so much country and, and, you know, these guys would work for them their whole lives, you know, as cowboys for very minimal pay. But there is a, unless you've lived it, you can't understand and appreciate the freedoms that come with, you know, taking care of animals and having wide open spaces and sleeping outside on the prairie and, and, and enjoying that experience, you know. It's not as fast. Sometimes I was joking today. I showed up to the processor. I had boots and spurs on, and they're looking at me funny. I'm like, "Look, I was in a big hurry, and usually when I'm in a big hurry, I jump on the damn four wheeler, and I'm running. You know, I'll, I'll grab a set of cows and move. But my freaking four wheeler wasn't working today, so I had to get old fashioned, jump on my horse, and it took another ten minutes. But it makes me sometimes slow down and really, really appreciate because we do use horses. Do not get me wrong. Today was just not the day. I was in a I needed to go faster, but, uh, you know, it, it's something about riding a good horse through pretty country. And I think that was a quote in Lonesome Dove. I, I won't steal too many from Gus, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, nothing like riding a fine horse through new or through new country, but, um, it, it is majestic. It's why people like to hike mountains. It's why people love to travel and drive through the hill country we are spoiled in Texas because you get a little bit of everything. You get the hill country, you get the pines, you get the desert, you get, uh, you know, the panhandle and the rolling plains and you get the coastal bend. We just have so much of an awesome geography here. Um, but those ranches all brought such heritage and, and their trials and tribulations and what they're known for. And uh, before it disappears, I hope we get to continue telling the story of them and even the new ones that are coming online because now we're seeing so many of them get bought up or, you know, cut up into developments and it's pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. I mean, you bring up a ranch, Turkey Track Ranch up here in the Panhandle, you know, I, I don't think it's sold yet, but there, you know, it's at, what is it, 88,000 acres, $200 million, something like that. It's an absolutely beautiful yeah. ranch, you know, and I wish, I wish we could you know, get some people within the, the Bitcoin space, some of the people that, you know, are looking forward as far as how we are going to, uh, you know, get that uh, asset reallocation moving back into something that, you know, what we're hoping, you know, as far as the 
of protocol being a store of value that we've never seen before. You know, I want that to be a long-term plan, like a decade plan that we do get some uh, leverage to where we can actually stop the the bleeding of the, the historical Texas ranch, you know, historical ranchers across the United States. And so, you know, this is why this is a big production. This is a lifestyle. This is a reflection. This is an educational series that you're not going to get tired of. And, you know, this is, I mean, it's so fun, you know, moving, waking up every day and moving forward. Um, you know, we've been going on for a little while. Let's, um, let's come back after the conference, after what we uh, we're going to announce some really cool things. If you're not able to attend that conference, we'll, we'll have another podcast pretty close after where, after you get back from the rodeo there in Fort Worth. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? Is it a rodeo or a team roping? Uh, it's just a big team roping. Okay, team roping. And it's on Tuesday. Well, I might have to leave Austin and then go back up through Fort Worth way before I get back up to the Panhandle and just kind of – I need a vacation. I haven't had a – I haven't time off in two years, so I'll come up there. But, uh, you know, we're going to come back and let everybody know where we are, what we're going to announce, and how we're going to move forward this year and how everybody basically listening to this podcast and whoever isn't listening to it, you know, you, you, you're going to have a call to action that you can – have faith in and uh, you know we got proof of work to back it up and here we go we're gonna have a we're gonna have a damn good time so on that note cole how can people get a hold of you of course because they want to talk to you because everybody thinks you're so damn charming which you are and you're such a good guy so you know let us know how we can get a hold of you all right so the easiest way um, for our product line is knccattle.com k-a-n-d C-C-A-T-T-L-E.com. You can email me at Cole at KNCCattle.com. I'm also available by phone at any time. I share that number with anyone. It's 903-721-1682. And yes, I live in Austin. And no, it is not an Austin number. I'm born and raised in East Texas, and I'm not changing it. But uh, (laughs) it's not spam. I promise if I call you. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I want, I want to, next time we come on to, we're going to start talking about roots because what we are, we're, we're grassroots, we're grass fed, we're grass fed and we're grassroots. And so we're going to touch every, every, every point of that, what that means as far as the source of seed of everything that we're doing. So, um, everybody, you can get me, of course, at modern T man on Twitter, you can reach me at, text slim at beefinitiative.com tx slim at beefinitiative.com please go to beefinitiative.com and get your tickets to Kerrville on April 23rd and if you need to use a discount code called slim s-l-i-m Guys, we're going to be coming back at you every night this week with other guests that are going to be on uh, speaking at the conference. We've got uh, Jimmy Song coming on. We have Dr. Mary Kerr coming on. We actually, I think on Friday, I'll be speaking with Adam Curry himself, and that'll be a Saturday morning release. So I have oh, to stand. Yes, I have to. Tell him I said hello. Oh, I will. He'll, he talk, he asks about you every time, and he, you know, he he's uh, he's got his freezer, of course. I mean, did you deliver out? to his house or was it one of your he actually came to did the he ranch. really no he way loaded him up 
Yeah, it was it, man. It was fun driving him around, and showing him all the shit, and oh, he's he's a mess. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 great because he's helped the beef, beef initiative along. You know, he's really been a steward for you know announcing awesome. what we're doing. Uh, I respect the hell out of him, and he's you know he's he's got a lot of uh, cards up his sleeve that we haven't even uh, unleashed yet, and uh, that's what's going to be fun about this. So, everybody, you have a good night. Thank you, Cole. We'll be talking to you soon. And uh, everybody, be good.